Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the Christmas movies of the VHS era. That's right, we are coming at you with a special bonus Christmas episode talking about the 1989 treasure that is elves. My name is Luke and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, tis the season and all but this year has sucked. We're just starting the Omicron phase of the pandemic. Student loans are awakening from deep hibernation. And the other day on the news, I saw a giant Christmas tree set on fire in some public square. It was like a, a really festive second degree felony, to be sure. And, and that's pretty much a prime metaphor for tis the season in 2021. Clinging onto traditional holiday mirth in this modern dystopia feels like a lost cause. So if you would like to celebrate in the spirit of anti-Christmas along with us, then, as of this broadcast, you can find 1989's Elves everywhere on streaming. You have no excuse never to see this film. You owe it to yourself to see this film. Truly the king of kings of so bad it's good. Luke, I want a second opinion. Do you think the crew involved with Elves believed they were making a bad film? Or do you think this was a genuine attempt to make a amazing storytelling experience? I think they knew they were making a camp film. But in, in most, uh, this is an AIP movie, and most AIP movies are kind of strange and campy and low budget. Um, but I find the, the weirdness factor to this movie inexplicable. Like, I can't fathom, like, why the script is written this way and, and who thought it was good and, and why the actors, like, uttered those lines. That's what I love so much about this movie is it's just batshit crazy. It's not that it's so bad it's good. It's not that it's comical. It's not that it's campy and fun. It's that there is literally no other movie like this. I think the weirdness factor does not get discussed often enough. I mean, every podcast has done this movie. We're not adding anything new to the, the conversation. Um, but when I first got the idea for this podcast, Elves is one of a handful of movies that I thought, like, this is the kind of movie I want to talk about because where the fuck else are you going to see a movie like this? I remember on a previous episode, I talked about cool video, that little video store near my house and how I, I bought all their tapes when I went out, when they went out of business. And this was one of them elves. And I had never seen it before. And I thought it was just going to be one of those like cheesy holiday themed movies um, that were, you know, coming out in the eighties and nineties, uh, like, you know, Leprechaun, like that kind of thing. And uh, then I was just spellbound by what was actually on the tape. It's been over a decade since I last saw this film before watching it for the podcast. And I don't quite know how this didn't resonate with me stronger. I think at the time... I, I really honestly thought that they were making like 
a, an attempt, an attempt at good storytelling and just fell flat in a spectacular fashion. But now watching it, you know, it, it really does seem like they knew what they were getting into. And when you look at reviews for this film online, there are a lot of low star reviews. And I feel like all of those people are missing the point of elves. I This is how I imagine the conception of this movie. I think that um, AIP was like, what can we do, you know, to capitalize on the market right now? And somebody threw out the idea of a Christmas movie and they were like, yeah, let's call it elves. And what if they were like a Nazi experiment? And somebody said, that sounds great. Let's hire someone to write it. And so they got the writer of this movie, who's also the director, uh, Jeffrey Mandel, to write them a script. And when it was turned over, somebody said, what the fuck did we do? Like, what is this? Ah, it's too late now. Go ahead, Jeff. Like, make your thing. That That's how I imagine it. And I don't Go know ahead, what... Jeff. <laughs> Je Jeffrey Mandel made other movies. I have never seen any of them. They all look like campy and ridiculous. Um, I, I'm kind of curious to see some others, but... I, I don't imagine they can be as strange as this is. I mean, have you heard of any of his other films being reviewed in podcasts? No. This this might just be the one gem, but couldn't hurt to check, right? Yeah. So the year before Elves, he worked on a TV series called O'Hara. And, and then he did Elves. And then he did a movie called Shooters. And then Cyber Chic or Cyber Chick. I'm not sure which it is firehead he wrote on another super or another tv show called super force and then he wrote something called turnaround and he directed about half of those things i am like honestly interested in researching this guy's career we should probably investigate his filmography just to see if there's just something just it's just it's half as good as elves right there's a surprising lack of information about this movie out there. And um, it's never gotten a DVD or a Blu-ray release. Uh, it is everywhere on screen streaming, but I said, I suspect that's because like it, the rights have just elapsed and um, it's, it's probably not the copyrights probably not really held by anyone anymore. AIP, you know, went out of business. AIP stands for action international pictures. And it was founded in 1986. I think they got bought out in the early 90s. Uh, it's mainly known as, as having action movies that star the same set of actors, including probably most famously Ted Pryor, who is David Pryor's brother. And David Pryor was one of the first filmmakers who did shot on video movies. He did Sledgehammer, which was one of the first shot on videos. Uh, Deadly Prey, which is really famous uh, among VHS collectors. Uh, Aerobicide, um, also really sought after and, and kind of hysterically funny. So that's how I think of AIP outside of Elves. But Elves has to be the treasure. I have to mention, before we get into any deeper into the movie, that on the VHS, prior to the start of the film, there is a trailer for Alien Seed, which has to be the greatest trailer of all time. 
I've seen the movie. The movie's like whatever. It's kind of fun. It's a typical AIP movie. But the trailer, go watch the trailer. Like listeners, go on YouTube if you haven't seen it. Look up the Alien Seed trailer. You can skip the movie. The trailer is worth the price of admission. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look it up. <laughs> I don't have to watch it now, but I want it for later. Yeah. Highly recommend the Alien Seed trailer. But anyway, yeah, so there's not a lot out there on this movie. Um, we went over Jeffrey Mandel. Anything else we should talk about before we get... Is, is there anything notable on the back of the box? Oh, yeah, let's read the back of the box. All right, so I'm really happy to have this tape. It's, it's one of the few tapes that I have kept for my entire collecting career. And uh, on the front, it, ha- it says elves, and it has an evil hand you know, going coming out of a Christmas present. It says they're not working for Santa anymore. And then on the back, it says... It's very misleading because on the back, there are two elves. And spoiler alert, there's only one in the movie, right? It says, "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the town, bloodthirsty elves are about to get down. An innocent romp in the woods turns into a hellish nightmare when three young girls accidentally awaken an army of evil elves genetically created by a neo-Nazi mad scientist during World War II. If he created them during World War II, wouldn't he just be a Nazi? Why is he a neo-Nazi? I mean, a neo-Nazi is just like anyone who follows that that doctrine post-world war ii right i think so but this says during world war ii anyway we're working too hard it goes on (laughs) these hideous creatures don't work for santa they have a special mission to mate with a virgin and take over the world as a pint-sized master race dan haggerty grizzly adams stars as mike mcgavin a department store Santa who must expose this unholy force and stop the gruesome terror before the elves destroy Christmas. That ruins the whole film, but chances are, if you're listening to this, you've, you've already seen this film. Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely some, uh, some deception going on here, but... Honestly, the the movie I thought this was going to be the first time I saw it is not nearly as good as the film that I ultimately got. <laughs> I I had the pleasure of, of watching this with someone else who had never heard of it before, and they were completely blindsided. This is a this is a uh, my wife and I watch this every Christmas. This is a Christmas tradition in my house. All right, so let's play the trailer and then we'll get into the plot. AIP Home Video. An innocent romp in the woods turns into a hellish nightmare when an evil force is accidentally awakened. Action International Pictures presents the gruesome holiday shocker Elves. They're not working for Santa anymore. When rough day at work, Santa got murdered. What is 
Their mission, to mate with a virgin and conquer the world as a pint-sized master race. I'm saving it for someone special. Dan Haggerty stars as Mike McGaffey, an ex-detective working on hard times. First you stand and then you die. She is the most important person on Earth. From her will grow the new order. Santa must expose this unholy force before the elves destroy Christmas. Jesus Christ. for Santa anymore. Why did we even read the back of the box? <laughs> yeah, it's all right there. <laughs> wow. But anyway, I really like the way this movie starts. So we see one of those vintage toy Santas that that walk and some other toys and a Christmas ball falls off a tree and breaks and it just gives like a slightly uneasy feeling like it's clear you're watching a christmas movie but something is amiss right and then we see we get the credits and and then we're introduced to our three of our main characters this is uh kirsten brooke and amy three classic 80s babes wandering through the woods and kirsten kirsten is saying that they need to find a place where everything feels right and that they have to be close to Mother Earth. And these girls are saying like standard 80s things to each other, like get real and get over it. This, <laughs> these characters don't seem like much on the surface. And and to be fair, Amy and, and Brooke kind of just become the same person yeah they could be anybody but but kirsten really shines on her own as the film goes on i don't think kirsten's performance is really bad no it's not it, this it, is you know what what's that um what's that one award show that gives out awards for like good acting in bad films like the the raspberries the razzies uh, it is the Razzies, but my understanding is they just give awards for awful performances. Oh, no, she shouldn't get it for that. No. <laughs> and now some of our other performers, maybe. But yeah, Kirsten's probably the best uh, of the bunch. So they sit in a circle and they light, or they go to light a candle and they say, we now convene the Sisters of Anti-Christmas. We bemoan Christmas as a petty, over-commercialized media event. And one of the girls, Brooke or Amy, is saying, um, I thought we were going to figure out how to get me Dave. And the other girl says, his is bent anyway. <laughs> that's the kind of, like, that's the kind of banter you get between these characters. Yeah, they talk about dicks a lot, which, you know, makes sense. You know, they're, they're teenagers. They're looking for, they're looking for love. Well, I don't know that Jeffrey Mandel really has a good grasp on how teenage girls talk, but it is what it is. Um, 
So Kirsten is saying that they're not just going to figure out Dave. They're going to figure out everything. And she shows them this symbol that she drew, like their mascot. And it's a woman with these lines on top of her boobs. And uh, Kirsten calls them Art Deco boobs that she came up with in her dream. But then before they can start the ceremony, Kirsten cuts her hand on a broken candle and her blood spills on the ground. And they decide to forget about their ceremony and, and rush home. But she not- uses like a, a sparkly, bedazzled piece of cloth to, to stop the bleeding. Yeah, it doesn't look absorbent at all. No, and you def- that's definitely... Glitter is not something you want in an open wound. No, I would imagine not. <laughs> Whatever she does, it works because this wound heals in like 24 hours. No stitches. But we'll get there. So as they leave and we see the elves hand come out of the ground where the blood spilled and it's kind of like gnarly troll hand. And uh, as the girls are going home, we get elf vision, right? The, the elf vision is kind of like just warped around the edges of the screen and it grabs roaches and things. I'm always a sucker for monster vision, but this doesn't really look like the viewpoint of a master race, does it? No, it looks like uh, the elf needs glasses at about five extra feet. Yeah, that that, that doesn't scream ubermensch to me. So Kirstie gets home, or Kirsten gets home, and uh, this is possibly my favorite scene in the movie. She is putting this book back on her grandfather's shelf that she was not allowed to touch. And the grandpa comes up, and he's in a wheelchair, And he slaps her twice in the face. And he says, the first was for being here without my permission. And the second is for the lie you're about to tell. Look, I know you were harping on on the teenage girl dialogue just a moment ago. But I think the dialogue in this film is phenomenal for, for what the rest of this movie be. I mean, it's phenomenally strange. It doesn't sound like any way that people really talk. As opposed to what, like, uh, like in Pulp Fiction or something, or no or a Diablo Cody movie? And no, well, see, those are just those are stylized. Like, I don't know, that's different. This is, this is. I described it to Amanda like an alien tried to imitate human speech. Oh no, I don't think it's that bad. No, no you don't. No. No, I, I think there's a lot more natural sounding stuff in this than in a lot, than a lot of other things we've watched. I but mean, the dialogue there are peculiarities. Just, don't get me wrong. Yeah, the, the dialogue sounds more natural than something like Troll 2, where you have Italians trying to write English dialogue, right? Like that sounds unnatural. This sounds natural. It's just the, the, the things that people are saying are are bizarre like okay compare this film to to was it night killer right that that was a movie where it, it, everybody felt out of place nobody felt real the dialogue could have been ai generated if it was made like 40 years later it, it was bizarre uh, this film i don't know I, I really feel like all the characters act relatively rational depending you know i mean obviously the you can argue about the rationality of like jumpstarting, you know, the Antichrist 
elf apocalypse or whatever but like you can tell everyone has motivations and they do shit that makes sense and their dialogue honestly feels relatively real compared to to, to other films i don't know they, yeah well maybe i'm giving this movie too much credit but night night killer was brought to you by the same people as troll 2 like that is the italians mimicking english that i'm talking about but yeah i, I guess i guess what i would say about this movie is it's not that the dialogue's bad. It's more strange than it is bad. Anyway, it, for example, the, the grandpa is, is looking at the wound in her hand. And he says, you know, it's not bad. And then he says, let's wash it. And he has like this look of joy in his face. Like his favorite thing on earth is to wash wounds. If you didn't already know this guy was like a secret Nazi in hiding, uh, this guy's mannerisms totally give him away that, that there is something not quite right. Yeah, but this exchange is nothing compared to the exchange that Kirsten has with her mom. Are you hurt? Good. Where have you been? Nowhere. I was with Brooke and Amy, the unholy trio. Your grandfather said you went in his room without permission. Yeah, I guess I was. Well, you broke the rules. You're going to have to be punished. He's already slapped me twice. Well, that isn't going to stay with you. But this will. Your savings account is history. I'm going to the bank tomorrow to close it out. You can't do that. That is so totally outrageous. I earned that money. It's mine. Not anymore. <laughs> if someone pulled this nowadays... You'd get murdered by your child. Uh, the the mother is the standout character in this movie for me. Cartoonishly like, evil. I have no idea what it is, but the my favorite trope in horror movies is like the evil mother. It, whenever there's an evil mother, especially like maniacally evil, uh, those are my favorites. And uh, this woman is one of the best. But I just love how matter of fact the dialogue is. Your savings account is history. <laughs> I have never heard of that as a punishment ever. Yeah, it's really insane. I, and the start of the conversation, are you hurt? Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> we so should I was going to ask, though, because at the end of that scene, we hear the musical cue and there's like one musical cue that repeats throughout this movie. What did you think of the music? It's all right. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's something that really stood out. Mm. It's those same three notes. Do, do, do. Over and is over there again. nothing else? There is, but that those three notes play every time, like, something significant happens i don't i don't really like the score in this movie i, I think it's one of the movie's lesser points it, it's okay they're allowed to skimp on something well i mean the music and the actual elf itself <laughs> <laughs> yeah we haven't seen it in all its glory yet we're getting to that but in the next scene kirsten is showering and her little brother who's wearing ninja turtle pajamas is is spying on her i had these pajamas when i was four years old <laughs> this Did exact you? this exact same design yeah 
I don't think I ever had Ninja Turtle pajamas, but I had a lot of Ninja Turtle toys. What are you doing? I'm your fucking sister! Yeah, and you've got fucking big tits, and I'm gonna tell everybody I saw them. Get out of here! You're not supposed to be in here without my permission. Yeah, well, fuck you. Mom says she's giving me all your money, so... <laughs> <laughs> Promise? Like, how old do you think he is? Like, 10? No, nowhere near 10. Younger? He's probably like six at the most maybe seven well after this exchange they start to wrestle on the bed like she's tickling him it's very uncomfortable looking like doesn't it seem too intimate or am i just a weirdo you know i'm usually the one that's like man brothers and sisters are too touchy in films and this was like the one time it didn't bother me and now now you flipped it now now you're on the other end way to go yeah it just seems maybe it's because of the exchange that you know preceded it um and the general theme of incest in this movie but okay well yeah but I don't think Kirsten is really is really into that paradigm. <laughs> no, it's just if I were going to read a lot into this movie psychologically, I'd say that um, these kids have not been raised with any sense of boundaries. Well, OK, so when I was like four, um, my sister was, uh, I think, 18. And if I went into her room and like messed with her markers and then like didn't put the caps back on them because I'm like a stupid shitty little kid, you know, she would like tickle me as punishment. No, I was the oldest sibling and my brother was relatively close to me in age. So maybe I just never had this dynamic. I mean, I prefer that over, uh, you know, her draining my savings account. (laughs) (laughs) And and of of course my sister wouldn't do that to me now like you know um, yeah. we're both way too old for that but like for this age range it's appropriate it's fine all right well um kirsten is in bed by herself with her cat agamemnon oh, what what is this name a reference to it's from the uh, the iliad okay i knew it was um some classical reference but all right, so the cat is Agamemnon. She calls her Aggie. Aggie for short. Yeah, and, and Kirsten says, I'm living a cliche. My cat is the only friend I have left, which is really confusing because she has two friends that seem perfectly fine. Yeah, get fucked, Amy and Brooke. Exactly. <laughs> but meanwhile, okay. we... To be fair, she is being traumatized by going broke right she's losing all of her money (laughs) yeah oh we see the elf vision sneaking into the house and kirsten's brother screams because the elf is on top of him and this is our first glimpse of the elf so how would you describe the elf's appearance um one bust you get to see one bust at for the elf the entire film yeah, no facial movements, not even closed mouth. It has the same grimace the entire time. And it doesn't look like we would typically consider an elf. It looks more like a, a troll. 
right? That's what they call it throughout the movie anyway. It, it feels insensitive to, to kind of lump together elves and trolls. They're their own distinctive, you know, species with their own rich and complex cultures. <laughs> hey, this this is not like a historic ancestral elf, okay? This is a genetic experiment. They kind of make it seem like the Nazis found the original elf and then sort of worked off that. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some mythology confusion here, but we'll get yeah, to there, that later there on. There is deep elves has some deep lore. The screenwriter took a lot of time to <laughs> to shell out the the elves mythology. Oh well, the little brother is like when when the mom and Kirsten come in, he's like, "It was a little man, only like a ninja, only like a gremlin," and then he calls it a fucking little ninja troll. <laughs> so the um the insults against your classic elf are uh flying but i like this the mom sees the cat and of course blames it and she starts going after it and kirsten's like don't you hurt her and they both leave the room and they totally ignore the kid the little brother yeah he's like he's like mom mom <laughs> they just leave him. Did we mention Agamemnon is pregnant? Uh, I I couldn't figure out if she was pregnant or if she had been pregnant in the past. Oh, she she is prego now. Okay. Because they really want a future scene to to have a lot of weight. Yeah, there's a scene where Kirsten's like, I don't mind that you turned out to be a girl. And I don't mind that you got pregnant. It's really weird. <laughs> it's a weird scene. <laughs> so we go to the mall and um, Kirsten works there in like a little cafe. And she's talking with Brooke and Amy and they're saying how they just need to get laid. And they have this plan to sneak into the mall overnight and have some guys meet them there. But this is also where we're introduced to our other main character, played by Dan Haggerty. And how would you describe Dan Haggerty's performance? Like he just woke up. Like he literally woke up, put on the same jacket and pants that he's worn every single day of this shoot and walked right out of his trailer onto set. It's really weird because... In some ways, I find his performance really interesting. Like there's sometimes where the way he says things is, is almost unique. Like there's a lot of personality to it, but everything is monotone. No change in facial expression. Even when things are like batshit crazy, he sounds like he just woke up. But you got to understand that his perspective is that of a grizzled, like police detective, right? He has seen some shit. Hey, uh, sure. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't see any of that reflected in his eyes. But maybe they've just been deadened by trauma. But by years of trauma and alcoholism, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So he 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 is in the mall and he meets up with the 
this department store's manager, uh, Hugh. And Hugh is like the definition of like weaselly sleazeball manager from the 80s. And he's telling uh, Dan Haggerty that he can get some coffee and donuts from the snack counter. And uh, Dan's like, I don't need that. Like, I need a job. And he was like, I don't have anything for you. Like, really uh, snotty. But we see the, the, the Santa, the current Santa, and there's a little boy on his lap saying, I want a Nintendo. And this Santa's pitiful, like his beard's falling off. And he's like, they're for sale in the basement. The, the Santa keeps his beard on like an anti-vaxxer keeps his fucking mask on. Just yeah. Falling off. It's yeah. not tight at all. Ugh. Nope. But the girls are going to go, quote, goof on Santa. So they're standing in the line waiting to sit on Santa's lap. And in the meantime, we see Kirsten's mom, who is putting Aggie in a pillowcase. So she can try to jam it down the toilet. I'm not trying to jam it down the toilet. Well, that's that's how she behaves. I mean, she's drowning it, right? Yeah. But She's it, drowning it in like the least humane way possible. Well, I mean, what is the humane way to drown something? Probably not in a toilet. No. And this is just piling on the, the evil mom vibes. This is the kind of scene where when I first, hell, still, when I still watch this movie, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, who came up with this? I mean, they're really just... just they were laying it on with how evil they wanted her to be. Both her and the department store guy are just cartoonishly evil. I mean, obviously, mom is on a next level, but the evil people in this movie. All right. Well, you know, it really says something when the mother comes off as more evil than the Nazis that show up later. Yeah. The, by comparison, the Nazis are like gentle. <laughs> <laughs> that could be taken out of context. Well, this uh, this is a good point to mention that I find the tone of this movie really interesting. Like, as as ridiculous as it is, and, and how easily its its dialogue can come off as comedic, there is no hint of humor in this movie. It is like. Dra dramatically serious and dark do you get that vibe from it yeah it's played straight and there's a lot of uh again this the, you know the name of our show is video store nightmares there's a lot of uh very unorthodox dramatic things that happen in this film it's not just a, a you know a fun horror movie there's some there's some messed up shit going on that's what i find most interesting about this movie is like it's it's the idea behind it is comedic and they're in the tagline is comedic right And the box kind of sells it as comedy and there were tons of other comedic horror movies around the same period or shortly after who were like riffing on holidays like leprechaun that i mentioned earlier and there's lots of like cheesy one-liners and stuff so that's what you're expecting when you when you rent this movie but instead 
you get just utterly dark and disturbing tone. I mean, it's it's borderline inept, so it's still funny. But there really is like darkness here that's just shocking to me. But can you see what I'm what I was getting at earlier? The first time I ever watched this, where it really seemed like the cast and crew were trying to make like a legitimate like story with drama and plot and feelings to try to you know get the audience captivated it seems like they are which is what makes this such a mystery is like who sat down and read this script and was like oh yeah this is a serious film sometimes i wonder because you know scenes are always shot out of order you know i think it's it's feasible to to say that there are probably a lot of films where the cast and maybe the crew are not quite they don't quite have the whole picture of what they're participating in and might not realize what they are you know put into until the finished product is revealed and then they're like oh god what what, what happened like the pieces are out of order so they just they lose their their bearing so anyway, Kirsten is sitting on Santa's lap and he's saying, what do you want for Christmas, little girl? And uh, she says she wants it to snow. First, she says, I want for it not to be Christmas. And then she says snow. And Santa leans in and whispers in her ear, oral. Santa said oral <laughs> while he's like stroking up her leg. And so Kirsty like slaps him and storms off. Even Santa is a pervert in this movie. I'm not victim blaming here, but like, what did she expect to happen? Both of them are acting inappropriately in front of a group of children. Yeah. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Uh, definitely. He's more in the wrong. Yeah. So Hugh, the, the sleazy manager, he sends Santa off to the back room and we see the elf following him. And it's at this point where I wonder, how does the elf get places? Like the elf is in the middle of a mall and no one has seen it. Well, first off, this is the supreme being, right? This is the master race we're talking about. Okay. And his stealth level is 100 because he's right there in the middle of a shopping aisle on Christmas and nobody can see him. Well, his... He doesn't seem to have a lot of adroitness. Like, he, his limbs don't seem flexible. Um, <laughs> oh, there's a good reason for that. He, he walks very stiffly. <laughs> and I was watching it more critically this time, and I noticed we never see the entire elf in a single shot. No, never. Like, we never see him in profile. When he's walking, we just see his feet moving. And when yeah. he's like doing something with his hand, we just see the hand, which makes it very clear that all this is being puppeted. Oh, of course. I mean, I, I always I just kind of assumed that there's a top half and then they have the legs for the walking and then there's separate arm scenes where they can have it just reach out and pick something up. Yeah, I, I don't think there is a torso. We don't see one anyway. No, no, there's a, there's like a bust with like shoulders. Uh, maybe, maybe, okay, maybe not torso, but like chest up. Yeah. 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 So anyway, Santa is cutting lines of cocaine. But when he goes to snort it, his I mean, beard gets She in asked it. for snow, so. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so he is delivering after all. Yeah. 
but the elf comes up and stabs him in the crotch, like stabs him to death in the balls. I kind of interpreted interpreted this as the elf like defending his woman. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, this is this is him defending the honor. But if this were to happen to you, I I don't think you'd die as quickly as this Santa dies. Oh, you'd bleed out, but you definitely wouldn't be spitting up a ton of blood for getting stabbed in the dick. Well, you would bleed out, but not in like 30 seconds. Oh, I mean, there's there's a lot of sensitive blood vessels down down in the lower half of the of, of a person. All right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, OK, we're probably looking again, looking way too into this, but yeah. you know, stabbing someone in the dick is a legitimate way of murdering someone. All right. According to elves, <laughs> according to elves. And so the cops are called and they're interviewing Kirsten. Are you Kirsten Hiller? Yeah, but I don't know why you want to talk to me. Guy tries to feel you up. You slap him. Words are exchanged. He's found dead a few minutes later with his nuts cut off. What should I think? He was a pervert and a drug addict and somebody killed him. Isn't that the spirit of Christmas? No, it's not. <laughs> That's my favorite line of the movie. That's your favorite? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a good one. No, it's not. <laughs> so so Kirsten, Kirsten gets home and her mom is like, you look terrible. Not like sympathetically, like an insult. And uh, and Kirsten's like, yeah, Santa got murdered. And her mom's like, I don't find that funny. And very bitchy. And meanwhile, Haggerty has been evicted from his camper. How do you get evicted from a camper? I, I don't think you do. I mean, I guess it could get towed. Like, no. wait, so can, you know, potentially you have to pay rent for the lot, but the right. trailer should be yours. Yeah, no, he, he is locked out and there's an eviction notice on the door. Yeah, I guess Renaissance wanted its camper back. So anyway, he's homeless and, you know, in even more dire straits. And meanwhile, the elf is digging up the cat that Kirsten's mom buried in the backyard. And as he's digging it up, Kirsten is removing her sparkly bandage well, it's like a real bandage now, I guess. Um, but her hand is totally healed. It's like 24 hours later. And uh, <laughs> as I was watching it, I, I, I said this to my wife. I was like, how is her hand healed so quickly? And Amanda said it must be because she's part of the master race. Yeah. Because she was bred to, you know, be a higher level. To have perfect genes. It, yeah, I never I'm, thought I'm about not that joking. Before. It makes sense. Yeah, I, I'd never thought about it, but <laughs> so the elf the elf startles her by smearing the cat's face against the window. <laughs> Is this like the equivalent of a cat bringing you its its kill as a present? I suppose maybe the elf is just trying to make her feel better. I'm like, hey, look, it's your cat. It's it's good. Here, here it is. Here he is. Here she is, Aggie. <laughs> and yeah, so every everybody runs in to see what's wrong, and the mom thinks it was a raccoon. But Grandpa knows that something's up, and he brings Kirsten the drawing of the Art Deco boobs. And he's like, where did you see this? 
and she says um, that she made it up. And he's like, you went in the forest, right? <laughs> um, and, and Kirsten's like, no, you told me never to go there. And she goes off to bed, leaving Grandpa and the mom to talk. And uh, Grandpa says, the Elven Hunter are here. <laughs> and so the mom is like, you know, you and your damn elves. And Grandpa says, the elf killed the cat. And the, I love this line. I killed the cat. The raccoon may have dragged it to the window, but I killed it. I love how how intense the mom is in that scene. Like, I killed it. She's so proud. Yeah, she owns it. Hashtag girl boss. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think the mom is a good actress? She definitely is convincing as a unrealistically super evil mom. I mean, she's so convincing that I can't imagine this woman being a nice person, like in real life. <laughs> she, I think she had like a, a, like a acting career before this film. I doubt this is the only thing she was in, but I've never seen her in anything else. She has a lot of acting credits from the 1960s. Okay. So probably like an actress past her prime, desperate for work. Just like Dan Haggerty, really. That's harsh. And um, the industry's harsh, and it was harsher then. Does that mean you get to be harsh, though? <laughs> it's so hurtful. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, she died in 2018, right? Yeah, yes. She's but... not listening. No, but, you know, let's not deface the memory of Deanna Lund. All right, I'll stick to discussing the character. Yeah, and then like a little bit in the 70s, and then she went ham in the 80s. A lot of these titles, just looking at them, they all look like TV movies or things that are probably on the love, the budget level of elves. Well... She embodies this character. Yeah, she owns it. I, I wouldn't want to give this character over to anybody else. So next scene, Kirsten is serving Dan Haggerty coffee in the mall diner. And during this conversation, like she's complaining about how she didn't sleep last night and her cat died. And I think that Haggerty is trying to be helpful, but he comes off as immensely passive aggressive. How can right? you tell? Because he has the same tone of voice here as everywhere else. Yeah, but she's like, she's like, I didn't sleep last night. And he says, well, I didn't sleep all night either, so don't feel bad. And then she says, my cat died last night. And he's like, I had a dog that died. <laughs> like, I think he's trying to commiserate with her, but it sounds like he's trying to one-up her. Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I don't think that's the that was the intention, though. <laughs> I no, do think it, he's trying to sympathize. I, I think it's just his performance, like his tone of voice. But anyway, did you catch what his dog's name was? No. Pea Shooter. Pea Shooter. Pea Shooter. Pea Shooter, okay. Yeah, I, I, I've never heard of such a name. Do you it think that was in the up. script or if this guy just pulled it out of his actual history? He's like, yo, just pick a, pick a dog name. <laughs> I have no idea. 
but anyway we'll they have a com- you know we talked we've, we've mentioned troll 2 a couple times and there's you know so much history and the documentary just a wealth of information on troll 2 nothing on this film whatsoever no it's really a travesty yeah maybe one day it'll get like an official release with some extra features and stuff but anyway they have a conversation about wanting it to snow and then hugh finds him and offers him a job as santa and in his first gig as santa the there's a little boy on his lap who who pisses him and uh and Dan Haggerty goes to the back room and he's like, first you're Santa and then they piss on you. But the funnier thing about this scene is that the the taped outline of the dead body is still on the floor with the blood stain <laughs> at the crotch. <laughs> the, the tape outline. Yeah. And uh, I think it's there the entire film. It is. And uh, Haggerty finds this symbol carved into the cement by the dead body. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. And then he says, nope, I'm not a detective anymore. This is none of my concern. I'm Santa. <laughs> this character's history is so rich, so storied. Uh-huh. Uh, to, to, to fill in the gaps, he I guess he used to be a detective. He was fired because he had an alcohol problem. He worked as a security guard at the mall, but he ended up being fired from that too. Was he fired or just let go? Like laid I, off? I, I don't know, but um, he, he says he's sober now. The, the manager like welcomed him when he came into the store. And normally this guy is like a, like, rank one asshole right yeah so i kind of figured they parted under amicable terms uh, maybe but, and then this guy came back he's like hey you know let me let me get a job well what he has not given up is smoking because he smokes literally in every scene in this movie that's probably how he dropped his alcoholism that was my headcanon he he, he smoked chain smoking he smokes while he's brushing his teeth. Smokes while brushing his teeth. Smokes while driving. Goes into a public library smoking. He, he smokes while he's eating. Was he smoking during the gunfight? I don't remember. It's so ubiquitous. I, I don't remember exactly when he wasn't smoking. Yeah. So anyway, these guys show up to see Grandpa. And they're supposed to be Nazis. But their accents sound Russian, right? Uh, like Grandpa sounds German, but these other guys sound Russian. Maybe you're right. Whatever accent that is, it's not German. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's some like German dialect we're not familiar with. This movie is very deep. I don't, as someone who took like three years of German and and knows people from Germany, like. I can buy the grandpas as as German, but I can't buy these guys. But anyway, this is where you get what the movie thinks is its best line. The Russian guy says, when there is no more room in hell, the elves will walk the earth, which is that stolen tagline from Dawn of the Dead. That line has never worked for me. Like, it just falls flat. There is a, a fair bit of confusion on the exact backstory of the elf 
But that only adds to the mystery. Well, we also learned during this conversation that Grandpa's granddaughter, Kirsten, is the pure genetic line. And Grandpa doesn't want her to have anything to do with this. But the the Russian guy says it's too late, that she is the most important person on Earth, and from her will grow the new order. At this point, like they haven't said so explicitly, but I think we've all figured out that she's supposed to mate with the elf, right? Yeah. The girls are getting ready for their camping night in the mall, and one of the girls is showing off her red bra, and she's like, what do you think? And the other girl says, Dave doesn't like red. And then we get a bit of poetry. She says, life is long and life is hard, but Kevin's is thick and Dave's is a yard. At least the other girls make fun of her and don't think this is good. (laughs) But as they're walking away, she says, Dave's isn't really a yard, is it? And the other girl's like, yeah, it is. (laughs) So we see... Uh, Dan Haggerty disconnecting the security system and putting tape over the lock so that the the back door won't actually seal shut. And uh, Kirsten tries the same thing, but she sees there's already tape there. This is all this business about the tape on the door. It's almost too much. (laughs) it, It is. And it's like it's way too much attention to detail. It's like something lifted out of a like a sitcom. That's what it feels like. It feels like this is the attempt by the, the writer to be funny. Uh, I think we can skip over it, though. There's just a lot of hijinks about the door being locked, unlocked, open, not open. Yeah, it really doesn't work. So Haggerty is going to the library to try to investigate this rune he found carved on the floor. And he asks the librarian... He's like, I think I remember a book on runes. And she says it'll be in the occult sciences section, which is section 666, which is another joke that does not land. But anyway, he looks up the symbol in this book, but it's cut out, so he can't find it. Yeah, who who decided to go around and cut all the pages out of these library books? You think it'd be easier to just like check it out and then throw it in the dumpster? Yeah, I wondered about that. First, I was like, well, maybe the elf tore it out. But the elf is not that uh, adept at subterfuge, yeah. <laughs> right? It's, um, it, I guess it was the Russian guys. I think that's the, the implication. So anyway, we... I mean, it, what, do you, what do you do as a Nazi all day, right? You just drive around to public libraries and rip out all the occult evidence that could link back to you and your insidious deeds? Yeah. So we see that Dan is staying at the the at the mall, just like the girls. He has like a little stock room he's he's lounging in and he he's he's not only reading a book, he's highlighting it. And he keeps it's like a self-help book. He keeps saying like denial and powerlessness. And the girls are trying on lingerie and we see the elf is roaming around. And the one girl is uh, Kirsten says, I have a new name for us. Masters without slaves. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the other girls laughs and the other one's like, uh, 
don't you get it? And uh, she's like, yeah, masters without slaves. And Kirsten says, you don't get it, do you? <laughs> what is she supposed to get? What, what are we missing here? I don't know, but it seems it's definitely insensitive in a, in a modern time. I don't know. I, I, took I don't it get like, what I don't get what they're aiming for. I don't I do not no. get what they're aiming for here. No, I think this is along the same the same point where maybe it was Kirsten who said like women are are the masters of history or something along those lines. She says they're the master race. Women are the master race. Anyway, it, Haggerty catches them, but they make an agreement that neither of them will tell as long as they clean up after themselves. And you know, if they didn't lay him off as a security guard, he could have prevented all this stuff in the first place. Yeah, true. Uh, the guys can't get in because of the, the tape on the door issue. Um, but the girls are talking, and Brooke or Amy says, um, Kirsten, you're not really going to do it, are you? And uh, Kirsten's like, no. Um, she, she tells the other girl just to say no, that the guys don't know how to deal with that. And this other girl says, I'd rather just go through with it than deal with the confrontation. This is such like good messaging for the audience, right? Yeah, this is, this is some deep, deep-seated trauma going on right now, like being revealed. So I kind of want to like rush through this part. This is my least favorite part of the movie where like the Nazis show up and the elf is there and there's a whole shootout in the mall as like the, the Nazis kill the horny teenagers who are trying to meet the girls. Well, one of them gets killed by the elf. The, the dudes? No, one of the girls gets killed by the elf and the other girl gets killed by the Nazis. Yeah, I'm talking about the dudes. The dudes that try to get into the into the mall. Oh yeah. They okay. get waxed by the Nazis. And then once the Nazis come in, they try to interrogate Brooke and or Amy. I can't remember which one. And then end up just brutally executing her on an elevator. Like there's points of this film where you like think it's getting fun. And then something like this happens and it's like, oh, trauma. Yeah, basically at the end of this night, the only people still alive are there's the Russian guys, Dan Haggerty and Kirsten. The it well, and the elf. And the, the, elf yes. the, the friends are both dead and the guys are dead. And uh, when Kirsten gets home, Dan Haggerty brings her home. And the mom is like, you were all on drugs. I don't believe any of this. But grandpa realizes what's going on. And he's like, pack your stuff. We're going to get out of here. I created this destiny for you, and I have to teach you how to undo it. Meanwhile, uh, Santa is still playing investigator. And I really like these scenes. He goes to see this professor who is the, he's like a parody of a professor. He's smoking a pipe and wearing ridiculous glasses and like a, a cardigan. And when Santa shows him the symbol, um, he tells us a story about how when God had Noah build the ark and had him invite 
two of each animal on the ark, he also invited the elves. And that that symbol is attributed to the elves. The professor actually quotes a Bible passage that I tried to find, and it does not exist. I don't think it does. No, it does not. Either that or it's, uh, you know, there's tons of different translations. But... No, but he, he says at some point that, you know, the Bible's talking about two of each animal, and then it also says the creeping little things. And that could mean insects, but it really means the elves. Like, this is the kind of plot point in this movie, the sort of mythology where I'm like, why? Why bother with this? This is this is why I'm thinking they knew what they were making here. Like they no serious attempt at creating like a, a deep horror mythology would uh would involve something like this where they create Bible passages to justify some sort of, uh, you know, arcane history about their elves or their monster. But he says that there was a group of people who believed in elves, the Nazis, right? But Naturally. But um, it, Santa needs to go see Professor O'Connor because he's more up to date on the Nazis. And then I really like this exchange. Um, Santa asks... You know, would you think I was crazy if I think if I said I've seen an elf? And the professor says, Are you asking if I believe in elves? And he says, No, but God did. I actually really like that line. That's my second favorite line. Yeah, it gave me a chuckle. Now we get a, a real shocking scene. Kirsten's mom is telling her that she reminds him or reminds her of her father. You remind me of your father. You're a lot like him. I am? You're attractive. You're bright. You're independent. Impulsive. Self-centered. Narcissistic. And I know exactly what's been going on. You and your friends, you were where you weren't supposed to be. Oh, sure, it might not have been your fault, Kirsten. But it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been there. Don't look away from me when I'm talking to you. Why are you packing? Where do you think you're going? Grandfather said I was in Grandfather! Shut up, Grandfather. Why do you hate everyone? Why do you hate me so much? I wish you were dead and Dad was still alive. Dad! Dad, you want to talk to Dad? Go down to the study and talk to him. When are you saying Dad's dead? Dad is in the study. Grandfather is in the study. The man in the study is your grandfather. And your father! No! Do, do you, like... The music cue gives me the impression that we are supposed to really feel something during that scene. I mean, it's a messed up situation. Yeah, for sure. And I think that I think it's supposed to give us the psychology behind why the mom is mean to everybody. Yeah, it does provide some rationalization as to why she's such a jerk. 
because the world has basically been a giant jerk to her. But she drowned a cat in a toilet, man. Yeah. A pregnant cat. (laughs) I understand her like resenting Kirsten for, you know, basically reminding her of her dad raping her and then continuing to live in her house for the rest of his life. But it doesn't justify how, like, how much she revels in her cruelty during the movie. But anyway, so, like, big shocker. Um, I, d- do you remember if you saw this coming the first time you watched this? I don't think I saw this coming. But here's a question I have for you. Where, where did the little brother come from? I've wondered that as well. I like, have to I understand. Like, look, I understand why Kirsten was produced, right? For the grand master race plan. What's up with the little brother? Well, so I can think of two possibilities. Either he is also a product of incest, or, and I think this is the more likely possibility, after the mother had Kirsten, she was with another man that Kirsten thought was her father. That's why Kirsten says, I wish dad were here. He'd know what to do. And so this is the mother saying that guy you thought was your dad was not. Grandpa is. And so they're actually half siblings because the younger brother has a different dad. That's as good a theory as any. Yeah, I mean, in a better movie, we would have just gotten some little indication that that was the case, like a picture or, um, you know, a history of the supposed dad. But no, we get no mention of of anything. I'm just uh, rationalizing. Anyway, back to Dan Haggerty. He has barged in on this guy's Christmas dinner. And I think this is the most overtly comical scene in the movie. He starts off by saying, I want you to tell me the connection between the elves and the Nazis. And uh, we learn two theories. The first is that the Nazis experimented with elves as assassination squads. And the other is that the elves were a genetic engineering experiment that they had to mate with a virgin of the perfect genetic line on Christmas Eve in order to produce the master race. There are a lot of moving pieces to this plot. There are, right? And um, there's a lot of contingencies there, right? So has to be an... Yeah, so elves may or may not have been from like the biblical period of human history. Perhaps they were made in a laboratory Perhaps they were made into super soldiers. And now it's not just about creating an army. It's about like uh, creating a like religious, like a religious event, like a not really a catastrophe, but a new era of human existence. And, and there's a lot of contingencies here. It has to be an inbred virgin on Christmas Eve at midnight, right? Like how, I mean, best not to explain magic, but how do you explain that? Like, that's a lot. That's a lot going on here. There's forces at work here we do not understand. It's a very complex film. <laughs> 
so so we see mo- the mother uh she's going to take a bath while she's listening to ode to joy and putting on crazy makeup like you know smearing lipstick all around her face and then she starts to smear it on the mirror you know the classic disturbed lipstick scene and meanwhile kirsten is talking with grandpa who has admitted what he did <laughs> i really like this he says I would never do anything to hurt my daughter. She was drugged, unconscious, you know, when he raped her. I took no pleasure in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that makes it okay. Like, oh, all right, grandpa. <laughs> and I, I should just say that I am not laughing because it's incestual rape, right? No. <laughs> and, and I, I, I condemn that. I am laughing at just the the oddity of this delivery of the the way this story is being told to us and in the audaciousness of the film that that thinks that is a uh, forgivable explanation have you have you watched many police interrogations no really you don't, you don't just sit around and watch watch those i don't know all right so when it comes to the school of thought of uh, police interrogations, there's this idea that everybody has a story to tell. And if you get somebody in a compromised position who has uh, no knowledge or forethought on their, their personal freedoms and personal rights, that they often will just start to tell you <laughs> how they really feel and what they did and how they did it. And uh, this scene really comes off as a confession, like something you would see on a confession video. And of course, uh, we're kind of just excluding the fact that there are a lot of false police confessions in, in modern history and society. But it, this is, it really gave me those vibes, the scene. Um, it doesn't seem too far out of place for someone who's done something like this who's probably feeling some kind of legitimate guilt to, to just kind of spill his guts out like this. And yeah, it sounds bizarre and strange because it is. And he's not making it sound like that because that's his normal worldview. But again, this is something that happens in actual like criminal interrogations or confessions. Well, he tells Kirsten point blank, you're a receptacle for pure genetic information. And I should mention, but I don't want to talk about it, that during all this, there's also a car chase going on in which Dan Haggerty's car is blown up by a bomb, which is a, a, a standard ingredient of AIP films, by the way. Is it? It is. Yeah, it, it's obligatory, I think. So this bomb looks like it's made out of Lego. Like, it looks like a children's toy. It does. Yeah, very cartoonish. He's being tailed by one of the Russian guys. Well, Russian, German, Nazi guys. But, yeah. uh, you, you know, why would you bother tailing a car that you know has a bomb in it? Like, I, I was confused about that as well. The fact that he's being followed gives Santa the the idea that possibly he's be he has a you know some kind of device in the car i don't know if he was if he knew he was looking for a bomb but yeah you know if if he wasn't tailing santa 
he wouldn't have found it and this movie would be over what gets me though is santa jumps out of the car before it explodes and then when the nazi comes out to to verify the kill santa pops up and just delivers the beat down to the nazi who then presumably it's not really explained cracks a fucking cyanide tooth in his mouth and kills himself <laughs> to avoid being interrogated by santa <laughs> <laughs> like it's the nuremberg trials or something right <laughs> well the um the more interesting scene i think is the mom is in the bath and she's rubbing a washcloth all over her face like very dramatically and the elf throws a radio into the tub with her and electrocutes her. I actually thought this was the most, I don't know, disturbing scene in the film. Like, it's really just kind of disgusting the way it's filmed. You look at this character in a new light once you find out about the abuse. I mean, it doesn't, again, it doesn't excuse the feline aside, but, you know, you kind of feel for her. Like her yeah, whole well, life was picked out for her, decided without any of her input. She's a prisoner in her own home and her own family. Yeah, she's got to care for her abuser, her yeah. rapist father. And now she's getting electrocuted by an impossible creature that knocks a radio into her bathtub. Somehow, right, Dan Haggerty arrives at the house and... He and Kirsten and the little brother are getting instructions from the grandfather. And we find out another key piece of uh, mythology here. The elf that will be born from the mating of Kirsten and the elf will be the Antichrist. Of course. And we also find out at this point that the Art Deco boobs that Kirsten drew, when you draw a circle around them, they make swastikas because grandpa says that your dreams come from your deepest being and that her spirit already knows how to mate with the elf as part of her genetic makeup. I understood this as like a form of implanted memory or like, you know, historical memory, something along those lines, like ancestral memory. That's the word I'm thinking of where she was programmed from the start to fulfill this prophecy. That's why she picked out the one spot in the woods instead of just going anywhere else because she had that subconscious embedded feeling that that is where she had to go. And when she, when she cut her hand on that candle, there was nothing wrong with the candle. She just gripped it really hard and broke it almost like it was intentional like some some biological learning yearning she couldn't fight and then the blood is what awakened the elf and started this whole mess yeah i mean i didn't really think master plan for the master race i didn't really think about it in those terms i just thought of it as like fate like it was magic i think there's like i think there is like a form of of determinism here like the elf is controlling her magically from under the ground. Mm. Okay, that could be a thing. But if that was the case, then I think this movie would be over much sooner because the elf would just be like, all right, girl, it's time. And then, you know, well, that, that would be it. Even elves have their limitations. <laughs> 
And but anyway, Grandpa gives her an elf stone to kill it with. And I'm basically going to skip ahead, but it ends up with uh, Kirsten, her little brother, and the elf are all back at the same spot in the woods. And Kirsten forgot the elf stone at home. So she sends the little brother to go get it. And in the meantime, I think we're supposed to insinuate um, or ascertain that uh she mates with the elf i don't think that's what happens i think the elf inseminates her through some kind of non-traditional uh technique because the elf touches her on the arm maybe somehow something happened there i think that we are supposed to assume because kirsten jams the elf stone into the hole in the ground and this seems to kill the elf and I think that we're supposed to surmise from that scene that she won, that she killed the elf before it could rape her. But then during the credit sequence, we see like a pulsating fetus with a heartbeat. And so I think that was just written in after the fact. It's like a twist ending. I don't think so. I, I, I really think that there was just some sort of magical way that the the impregnation occurred but this is all speculation it's not it's not specified in any way there's a lot of tasteless shit in this film and i guess they you know showing an elf sexual battery was was the line they did not want to cross they really just ran out of budget before they could construct an elf penis that was the problem <laughs> yo how how do they have the budget to blow up a car, but then they can only afford one elf head with hey, one I think, grimace? I think like blowing up a used car is cheap, right? Like you just get one from the junkyard. To create like one of those incendiary explosions that are really flashy, like that's money. Like this ain't like taking all the household chemicals from under your sink and making a bomb this is this is like you have to make it showy and flashy that costs money anyway we're here at the end of um a very special cinematic experience right uh just what is needed to get you in the christmas spirit so um leland will you give your final thoughts and a rating out of four historically we have had bad films that have been entertaining to watch and my natural inclination is to give it the film overall a lower star rating because overall it is you know still not a good movie even if it is extremely entertaining but in this case i think elves transcends a lot of traditional rating paradigms i am still convinced that this bizarre acid trip was intentionally created like this from the start like they weren't trying to make some kind of super serious horror movie they were they were specifically going for God, what's the word i'm looking for uh camp like this is this is camp with 
with uh, traumatic subject matter. That is the best way to put it. This is a campy Christmas horror film full of trauma, both direct and subtle. And it really comes off as a as a very unique experience. You will never see another movie like this. There is a there is a good reason why Luke has held on to elves, the VHS for elves over his lifetime of collecting, trading and distributing films where he had to dump his collection. He had to cycle things out, but he always held on to elves. And there's a good reason because this film is just so distinctive. It really deserves its own place, its own title of distinction in VHS horror. And, and for that, four stars is probably a, a little too high but man it it really does feel like a three three and a half star film like overall it's just so distinct you can't you can't ignore that yeah ordinarily all right when i'm confronted with a movie like this usually my conclusion is look the the directing was just inconsistent with the writing Right. I, it, this is written like a spoof, like a particularly dirty, offensive spoof. But then it's directed in the most serious and somber and disturbing way possible. Except in this case, the writer and director are the same person. <laughs> so my explanation goes out the window and I'm confronted with just this inexplicable thing. Uh, with that said, being said, this movie was like tailor-made for me. I love just strange, disturbing exploitation and, and particularly films with just inexplicable backstories. And that is this film. This would easily be a four-star movie for me just based on entertainment value. The only negatives I have here are the sort of traditional action movie AIP beats, I find really boring and they slow down the movie. So like the shootout in the mall, the car chases, and there are several. Those parts of the movie really drag for me. So it's not like constant entertainment. It's like really high highs and then some just like in the middle hokey scenes that drag, right? So uh, I think I'm going to end with three and a half. Uh, I'll meet you there. Three and a half. Yeah. All right. So um, that does it for this special Christmas episode. For our next episode, we will be back to our normal lineup doing uh, the obscure grindhouse flick, Janie, which we talked briefly about in our last episode. So until then... Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. Uh, Leland, do you have any anything else for this one? Thank you for your continued support and happy holidays. Beautiful last words. Uh, Merry Christmas, y'all. Bye.